that there seems to be a bit of a civil war mm -hmm. happening in France right now. Like some kind of a fight over oh. uh, the government not liking the color, color yellow in jerseys and a bunch of people being adamant that yellow is I a good heard color for this. jerseys. And there's like full on riots and like old ladies getting beat up by riot police and shit. <laughs> And old ladies yes, beating no, up actually, riot police. Yeah, the, the videos are there. It's just now, and we're recording this a little bit ahead of time, but this is just now hitting the mainstream media. And I've been seeing it for a while because I've got French friends now, and they've been posting it on their Facebook and whatever. So, like, it's it's pretty intense, but I think it... Yeah. So, whose who's jerseys do they want to be yellow? Uh, not no, that's just yellow. a bit of a joke, but, like, the... Um, the protesters are wearing those high-vis yellow jersey things. Oh. They've become known as like the yellow jerseys or the yellow jackets or whatever. And it's them versus riot police and there's tear gas everywhere. Uh, what are they you actually see, protesting? I'm not entirely sure about that because like all the posts are in French and I just look at it and I'm like, man, they really seem upset. It's got, some, <laughs> it's got something to do with Emmanuel wow. Macron and like some gas tax or something or like a fucking increase or some shit. I don't know. Uh, I don't know anything about France other than that the French are revolting. Uh, yeah, and, and, and revolting is a proud and age-old really French is. tradition. I heard that they were prying up the cobblestones and chucking them at riot police, which I don't think has happened since 68, since the big protests yeah. in 68. So I'm happy to hear that the French are uh, returning to their roots, doing Time what they do best. Um, <laughs> I guess that does it for Parlez-vous Francais, the French politics podcast that we do so often, all the time, which everyone listening Love knows and loves. We, we, mon nom Louis Roux. Uh, I don't know how to say it. my name is Fraser de Toy in French. It's probably something. Fraser de Toy. Yeah, and uh, Vive la France. Vive. Yeah. vive that brings vive. us to our B-side production, B Positive. The positive B, B positive. movie podcast. Positive B movie podcast, which we said at exactly the same yep. time, and I'm sure the edit always does. That. Don't you doubt it. Welcome back. This is the second week of. The holiday season, December. It is it the most wonderful is. time of the year. Uh, and this week, we're doing the sequel to Gremlins. Gremlins 2. Grem. Harder. <laughs> More Grem. Two Grem, <laughs> two Lin. <laughs> so we're, we're, <laughs> with this one, we're breaking I, like both of the rules here. Because this is neither a B-movie nor yes. a Christmas movie. But you know what? Fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, that's yeah. just how uh, it worked out, okay? I honestly thought this was a Christmas movie until I rewatched it because the last time I watched it, I was but a wee child. Now, watching it again, I realize it's mm. not Christmassy and it might not even be good. I mean, I guess that's what we'll find out during the running time of this episode. Okay, so it is the year... The far-off uh -oh. future, 1990. 
we rejoin Billy and Kate. They're now living in the city. Uh, everything is better when you're living in the city. They're working the in New Apple. York, baby. They're working at Clamp Industries or Clamp Corp or is it just called Clamp? I'm not sure. Uh, but they're trying to make their way up into the business. But of course, someone from a genetics lab in the Clamp building finds Lil Gizmo after he's been turned out onto the streets uh, because Clamp is buying gentrification. Chinatown. Yes. Poor Lil Gizmo is caught. He's in the genetics lab. And of course, things go hilariously awry. He gets wet. He busts out in little children. And um, the gremlins obviously eat after midnight because there's nothing stopping them. And they take over the entire clamp building and Billy and Kate and uh, new, fun new characters, Marla and Mr. Clamp himself have to once again eradicate the yep. gremlin threat, yep. which they do. And that's it. What a beautiful story. Good night. Good night. All right, turn off the pot. No, don't. Uh, okay, so a few things. In this film, we have a rehash of everything in the first film, but everything is played off yes. as a joke. Like the serious elements of the first are played off as a joke. And it's sort of as they're, as if they're making fun of the first film. I think, yeah, I think that's true to a huge extent. I think, you know what, what really sets the tone for the film? I mean, I guess this is true for most films, but especially for this one, the intro logo, where we have the old school Bugs Bunny, Looney Tunes, oh, Warner yeah. Brothers intro, and Bugs and Daffy have a falling out over who gets to sit on the intro. And there's, you know, your classic... Looney Tunes mm -hmm. farcery, but that already tells us exactly how this film is going to be. It's a lot more cartoonish, it's a lot more farcical, and a lot less is, yeah. is being taken seriously. In fact, I don't think... Is, is anything being uh, taken seriously no. in this film? It does clearly show you that the first film was not Warner Brothers. And the second film is an acquisition and then a cashing in on a newly acquired property. And they make that extensively yeah. clear throughout the film. We've got many references to Warner Brothers IP. Uh, we've got, like you said, the Looney Tunes right at the start, which I don't remember from watching this as a kid. That kind of caught me off guard. I was like, what no. the hell am I watching Space Jam? What's happening? And then another thing is at one point, uh, one of the gremlins is transformed into like a bat gremlin thing. Yeah, like a, uh, are, are you going to talk about him? No, before he a even becomes a gargoyle, he flies through the wall and they look at the wall and what do they see? The Batman uh, logo. Because, you know, Warner Brothers owned yeah. that IP in that time. And they were also actively making Batman films in the 90s. So yeah. they constantly remind you that you're watching a Warner Brothers production. This is Warner Brothers. Don't forget Warner Brothers. I want because the the first one also and I I don't know how much we emphasized it in the episode on the first one, but the first one also had a ton of pop cultural references and you know kind of pastiches of older films and so on. But yeah, in this second one it feels a little more put on and or yeah. soulless. It's I don't know I mean, how it's do you still feel Joe about Dante. It? It feels like they just copied the original script and they were like, okay, cool. We're going to replace all the things 
with other things and we're gonna make the same movie and we're gonna make a bunch of new gremlins and like there's no real reason for a lot of the things happening like in the original gremlins you've got product placement you've yeah. got all that shit but it's it's in the background and it, it's like americana in the background where in this film it seems forced i mean and we can we can talk about whether the second film does this but in the first film it felt like more satirical when they kind of started referencing yeah. other things or like outside properties i wonder if it like for instance the bat symbol one i don't think that really serves any higher so no. satiric it does purpose it's not commentary on anything it's it's literally just look what we can do in this film because we own that logo but but if it had to be a symbol of something <laughs> if it had to be a symbol of something i would say <laughs> what that uh it would represent the fact that the gremlins are, according to Smart Gremlin, who we'll talk about soon, but according to Smart Gremlin, the gremlins are only, yes, they're kind of yeah. well-meaning, even though they're destructive. They just want their own society. They want freedom. They want the things that humans want, but they clumsily go about that. And they seek these things in a destructive manner because they, I mean, they're a few hours old at most. The only gremlin with maturity yeah. is Gizmo. But like in that same vein of well-meaning badness, if you look at Batman, he's well-meaning, but he's a criminal. He regularly dresses up in a suit and goes to yeah. beat up people with his high-tech armor and like his freaking ninja stars yeah. and his bat dog and his like child. Bat car and bat knives and bat yeah. batons. It's, and I mean, he's everything technically bat. a bad guy. And if Batman were actually to exist in our world, he would be labeled a criminal and an enemy of the state, of whichever state. Oh, definitely. Uh, the same as the gremlins are, but like the gremlins are naturally seen as that because of their physical appearance physically yeah and they're not they're not billionaires they're not billionaires so it's not okay for them to do that not that i'm saying that the gremlins are crusaders for justice or anything but that if i had to no if, let's if I had not to connect yeah. the gremlins to batman that's how i do it <laughs> and it's great that's and and that's how you did do it okay. uh, we did that another interesting little change that i quite liked actually is uh, that we open again in Chinatown, going to Mr. Wing's shop, but this time it feels like a much more realistic portrayal of China Chinatown. It's it's much less yeah. ooh, mystical and noiry, and it feels much more like a kind of a cinema verite look at Chinatown. You see people hustling and bustling. There's building going on. And of course, that's when Mr. Clamp makes his offer to Mr. Wing to buy the shop because he wants to put up the Clamp Chinatown Center um, where business gets Whoa. oriented. Ding, ding, ding. We got a racist alarm. So I quite... <laughs> yeah, I like that they, I mean, you know, purposefully or not, kind of showed that orientalism that that was to a degree yeah. present in the first film um, and showing that as a villainous yeah behavior. yeah it's also what we do see as probably the most villainous thing it's never stated but like the most villainous part of this is that gentrification that that really started in the 90s where billionaires would buy up like the property in poorer neighborhoods and then 
they would make it nicer yeah. but then also increase the rent and stuff to the points where the original inhabit inhabitants are forced out so some people are like yeah gentrification look yeah. how they're improving the area and they're you know they're upgrading all the services we love all these artisanal yeah. coffee but shops like, mr mr wing or i had him as mr wang whatever old chinese dude he couldn't afford rent in the like in the new chinatown no. super mall or whatever mr clamp was building yeah because mr clamp offers him like a a stall in the yeah atrium. like a little a little kiosk not even yeah. a store yeah 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 just like a the mm. little aftaki <laughs> do we want to talk more about mr clamp my main thing is uh how mr clamp is kind of a representation uh of trump donald trump clamp trump the clamp yes, center absolutely. the trump center you know whatever it's the similarities are, are very close there and in the 90s donald trump was like at the peak of his fame and it's on on that wave of fame yeah. that he rode all the way through the 2000s and the apprentice and all the way into the white house and um pretty much into history and he was he was absolutely in the 80s and 90s already a local villain in new york because he was doing you know exactly what what you're describing buying up old properties and forcing old tenants out by charging exorbitant rents and he was he was quite known for that. We we I guess we forgot somewhere along the way that that's what he did to get rich. But yeah, as this movie shows, he was already known as that even as but early then, as 19. Like I don't want to get too political, but did people forget that or is that exactly what they've been respecting about him? Is that like ruthless capitalism? I wonder because the portrayal, you know, how they put him in Home Alone is as like a a very friendly guy. I don't know. I mean, I guess people fall into into two camps, like either, wow, he's part of this great restoration of New York or, oh, wow, he really ruined yeah. a lot of people's um, lives. He's also uh, there are some some similarities to him between him and the character of the Kingpin in the Daredevil Netflix series, who is also like gentrification. <laughs> but that's the thing. Yeah. It's like in the 90s, gentrification was a hot button topic. It was happening and it was affecting a lot of people. And you see that in... And I mean, definitely, yeah, you see especially that in a lot of popular popular media. Yeah, like yeah, Gremlins 2, gentrification is happening. In uh, Private Wars, which go back and listen to the episode on Private Wars, episode number something. Yes. Classic. Classic. Uh, again, gentrification is the villain. But here, Clamp doesn't remain the villain. He's the villain in the first little section. And gentrification yeah. is, is just sort of a given. And then we go on to meet Clamp and he's this billionaire who just his employees are more evil than him in a way like his the management of his company are the evil ones. And then he gets mm. to be the nice guy and stroll through the company and like meet people and leave them in awe of his good natured demeanor. I like his charisma or his. Yeah, he gets to be the hero. And even in the film, he gets to be a bit of a hero. He helps Billy. He teams up with them. Yeah, he sees. Honest, he never, even when his 
uh, head of security is trying to pin the whole thing on Billy. Clamp isn't worried about like whose fault it is. He's worried about, all right, how are we gonna solve this? But then also, how are we gonna make me the hero? How are we gonna PR spin this? And yeah, he's he's definitely allowed to become, you know, at the at the worst, he's portrayed as like a, a well-meaning yeah. doofus. And I think that's definitely part of the smoke screen that he has that protects him from personal indictments yeah. of his character. Because as you say, all the disciplinary functions go to his immediate subordinates, some of whom he doesn't even yeah. know, like Mala, who manages the art department, but he's never met before. It's weird how in a corporate structure, the owner of the company gets to do that, where they can hire people to be awful to their low-level employees, where they don't even know about the low-level employees. In the, in the way that now uh, we're yeah. hearing about Jeff Bezos and the Amazon employees being crushed under the paltry pay that they're receiving and the hours that they're working. And then also uh, Elon Musk recently, Elon Musk, who a lot of people kind of worship as oh, yeah. like some kind of super genius. Oh yeah, he's going to save us all. He's a businessman. But he said that nobody ever changed the changed the world on a 40-hour work week. He is advocating for 80-hour work weeks for his employees, which is ridiculous. That's a lot. Yeah, that is insane. What that's yeah, like 16 hours is, a day. I mean, that's that's a crippling amount of work, and people don't survive doing that for very long. Stress is a very big yeah. killer in our era, and it's probably going to go down in history as one of the big epidemics yeah. of the teens. I don't know what we're calling these years yeah but I definitely agree and I think yeah people who work those kinds of hours inevitably go insane just like Elon Musk who is a complete yeah. fucking wackadoodle I mean he at this point like one thing that uh, his public persona very much like Mr. Clamp is this goofy you know charismatic friendly guy whatever oh yeah I'm the fun guy who yeah makes yeah. makes 420 jokes I'm so cool I I'm go so on cool. Joe Rogan and smoke marijuana and fire employees if they test positive for marijuana you know mm, hypocrite but in the same yeah. way yeah, yeah, yeah. uh that corporate structure of the clamp industry gets to do that. And yeah. it sort of becomes when all of the employees are picking on each other and the ones who survive and thrive are inevitably psychopathic because they just sort of deal with people picking on them and then in turn pick on others until they get yeah. promoted and they get more people to pick on. They sort of have this worship of Mr. Clamp where the rest of the employees are just trying to get by. Uh, mm -hmm. We meet one guy called Fred, who is a TV Dracula. Yeah, he kind of presents, it's almost like the like the Barbarella. Elvira, Mistress oh, not of the Dark. Exactly, so he kind of, he he presents the upcoming horror film on the, on yeah. the Clamp Network. And like, it seems like quite a charming thing. Honestly, growing up in South Africa, that is something that we missed. We, we There was no horror network. I was always looking for that cheesy, you know, yeah, spoopy type of vibe on TV, and you never got that. The closest we got was Tales from the Crypt. And then always, uh, there was some lady in church saying that that's 
the devil and you shouldn't watch that. But of course, Fred, yeah. uh, that wasn't his dream, wasn't to be a late night Dracula. He wanted to be yeah. a serious newsman. He does get that opportunity during the gremlin attack because obviously Clamp mm -hmm. has his own TV network and the network goes down and Fred is still in the building and he just ends up doing the news. He sees an opportunity, puts himself at risk, and he just he goes, goes for it, he and he succeeds. I mean, he does, in the end, he gets everything he ever dreamed of because Mr. Clamp has now noticed him, and it is sort of spreading this message of if you can only get one of the elites to notice your, your talents. Then you can, you too can yeah, and achieve it, it your dreams. elevating Mr. Clamp to a status of godhood in this film. Definitely. Another a, a, a little buzzword I wanted to bring up in relation to kind of the systems of discipline that are in place at Clamp Inc. is the idea of biopower, which is a Foucauldian idea, which I'm probably okay. going to butcher. So please tweet at us if I mess this up. All the philosophy majors. Yeah, but I'm going to use it as a jumping off point, essentially, to describe how clamp industries function. So rather than being a system of just punishment and reward, the whole building becomes responsible for regulating the lives of the employees. So they have a salad bar, they have a cafe, they have a gym, all those things that seem like really nice little sweet bonuses when when you're working somewhere that are really just a way to to yeah. keep you in the office to extract additional value from your labor because if you never have to leave the office you you don't have to go out on a lunch break you can stay late because you can gym and you can yeah. get dinner at the office then inevitably you're going to be working a lot harder in fact there are people living in the clamp tower yeah 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 there are actually living quarters uh, and I mean, it's the same with any large corporation these days where they're like, oh, we've got these little nap pods and we've got our own gym and all these things, which serve to both keep the workforce healthy enough to keep working and serves to get them invested enough to stay longer to yeah. do more work. So this whole disciplinary system is built into the building, a lot of which is automated. And that kind of keeps you in line and in step with what the office, what the company yeah. wants you to do. And of course, if you go out of the boundaries, for instance, Billy has a little picture of his hometown, Kingston. Kings. Kingston Falls. I Kingston, want to say, but I'm probably wrong. King, King, yep. Falling Kings, the good town. He has a little picture that he drew of his hometown, and he has a little pot plant. And the head of security, I guess he's the head of security, but he's also like enforcing like the decor. Yeah, decor I don't code. know what he does. He just walks around and dicks on everything. And he's uh, says like, do you know how much money the Clamp Corporation spent on? good prize-winning authorized mm. art for you to look at for your pleasure and it's this like really dry corporate like abstract yeah. minimalism and that's exactly the kind of thing right like oh we love you so much we're going to put up art we're going to give you all these things but you're not actually yeah. allowed to enjoy it at least you're not allowed to enjoy your own taste exactly also uh, another way that the building regulates their time is that if an employee were to sit still for too long their little cubicle gets shut down and the power gets 
cut to that cubicle to conserve power to the building. And that's, that's of course, like a twofold purpose, right? Cutting the power saves the money, but it also stops the employee from stopping yeah. for too long. Yeah, no naps. No naps. And we also see an old man take an unauthorized break period to have a cigarette. And apparently all the security cameras are equipped with speakers and spotlights. And he's summarily fired on the spot. And they also almost instantly say, attention all employees, there is a new employment opportunity. It is very authoritarian. If this were a government, it would be something akin to 1984 for George Orwell's uh, Big Brother. Yeah, where except Big Brother is actually just like a goofy good dude who yeah. doesn't really know what's going on. And the machinery yeah. just takes it's care of everything. It's interesting how in the 90s, automation was not a buzzword. Like, no one was worried about automation. Jobs were going to last forever, of course. People were still worried about Y2K. And, you know, you had all the cults freaking out because, oh no, the imaginary date is going to change. Yeah, automation at that point was more just about like, oh, things will be more convenient. We'll be living in the space Where now, automation means there physically won't be enough work for everybody to have a job. A job will become something of a luxury. And we're facing the problem where Mm. None of the governments are really set up for that. None of the businesses are set up for that. The economy cannot run with uh, automation happening. But it's interesting how automation in this film is used as a way to dominate employees and to increase their performance, where in all likelihood, it will just replace the employees. And of course, in my communist utopia that I'm founding in a few years from now, automation will be... a way to reduce the workload on the working class to allow them more free time and more time to yeah. enhance themselves. Um, yeah, it's sort I of like a Jetsons future, right? Where everybody's got a job, but it's mainly pressing a button. And if you don't press the button, nothing really happens. You'd have to have a job that was something yeah. creative. You know, not, not in a narrow sense, but something where you could be fulfilled yeah. by your yeah. work. I guess that is sort of also what a lot of modern communism enthusiasts like on Reddit and stuff are thinking will happen when the AIs take over and um, automation fully kicks in. You'll get a solid universal basic income where every citizen is going to have like a large chunk of money. But in all likelihood, what's going to happen is a few corporations are going to own everything and all the money and like 99% of humanity will be unemployable and unable to function. Destitute. It would literally be post-apocalyptic for 99% of humanity and like automated paradise for 1%. Yeah, can't say I'm really too excited yeah. about that but, future. But I mean, the planet's probably going to kill us all before then, so that's fine. Uh, back to gremlins. Yes. Oh, Mr. Fred the Vampire also has a great line when he's talking to Billy about classic horror movies when he says, all the great horror movies are in black and white, but Mr. Clamp only likes color. So that really emphasizes Clamp's obsession with quote unquote progress and kind of escaping the past in a, in a way where it's eventually kind of just shooting himself in the foot or shooting all his employees yeah, and his in feet, the feet remain pristine. It brings to mind a quote 
by someone who I can't remember, but those who do not learn the lessons of the past are doomed to repeat them. It's a pretty famous quote. Not sure who said it. Yeah, it is. It's uh, it's Karl Marx. There you go. More communism. I think so. Or he said, uh, history repeats itself first as tragedy and then as farce, which gremlins repeats itself first as tragedy and, and then, then as, as farce. farce. It's very <laughs> strange. Like <laughs> All meaning is sucked from this film by the fact that it is played as one long running gag. Uh, I want to get to yeah. two main things that like I, yes. I, I was visibly upset. Like I had people watching this with me oh, no. and I got vis- visibly upset about the second thing. But the first thing is Kate has another moment where she starts telling this tragic story of her life and this time Billy just straight up tells her to stop talking and it's like we don't have time for this right now look it's a fair criticism of the original film is why during the crisis would she take the time to open up about herself they would probably like you know they're probably running that yeah. they need to be doing but in this film Billy just tells her to stop talking and like completely cuts her off and her personal tragedy is played as far in that first thing she it's clear that she's super self-aware that it's you can it's not really the character speaking it's the actress speaking in that scene it's obviously supposed to be played for laughs where in the first one it's about her experience with christmas and her dad dying in the chimney in the uh, you know santa suit this one it's about fucking abraham lincoln's birthday and a man who looked just like abraham lincoln and you know it's clearly supposed to be kind of a parody of that scene in the original so i mean the joke works with billy telling her like okay we don't actually have time for this sad monologue right now but yeah it definitely Definitely change that I don't think benefits the movie yeah. as a whole. Uh, the second thing is where in the first film we had the gremlins sort of innocently enjoying Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. In the sequel, mm. the movie is going, 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 and then like cuts out, and we have this sequence where yeah. the gremlins have taken over another movie theater and they and change the film but the film that they were yeah. watching is gremlins yeah it's a moment of extreme fourth wall break where the gremlins interrupt the film that you are watching right now they are interrupting gremlins 2 yeah so you see the film kind of go shaky and then burn out and then you see the silhouettes of gremlins against you know what would have been your movie screen if you were watching this in the cinema and so they've they've taken over the film that they are already in, which is like a very meta Looney Tunesy thing to do. Yeah. Then yeah, someone runs out to complain to the concierge at the film studio. I'll tell you who runs out. The woman who in the first film was complaining to the landowner. Really? Mrs. Deagle. So the woman who was complaining to Mrs. Deagle has her scene kind of repeated, but where she's now dragging her kids to to the concierge and she's like complaining about the film stopping and it's exactly the same. I didn't realize that it was the same woman. Same actress, yeah. The concierge says, "Uh, listen lady, how many times do I have to tell you? We just show the movies, we don't make them. And the projectionist comes down and he says, all they want to watch is Snow White, I give up. And then the concierge runs into the cinema, gets fucking Hulk Hogan, Mm -hmm. who's sitting 
getting watching Gremlins 2 with you in the cinema, apparently, who then threatens the Gremlins by do do you think the Gremsters could stand up to the Hulkster? And he rips his shirt as Classic he's wants to do. Classic Hulkster. And uh, the Gremlins are apparently cowed enough by Hulk Hogan's show of force to return us to the film. His rampant masculinity. Yeah. <laughs> and Hulk you know, looks into the lens and says, sorry, folks, it won't happen again. I'm not sure how to feel about the interruption. Yeah. Because I love the scene in Blazing Saddles where that kind of happens, where they it, it kind of entirely breaks down and they go behind the scenes and they go into other films and they go to the cinema that's showing Blazing Saddles to try and finish the film. I really enjoyed it in Blazing Saddles. I don't know how much I enjoyed it in Gremlins 2. The different main difference is in Blazing Saddles, it's a continuous thing. They're fighting, they're spilling over into other sets and it sort of naturally happens mm. where in Gremlins 2, you're forced into it. It happens suddenly, it's, yeah. it breaks the flow of the film. None of the characters of Gremlins 2 are in the sequence, but mm. it's still set that in might the universe the of thing. Gremlins 2. Yeah. And like I just remembered a third thing is at some point during the rest of the film there is a, a sequence where they show a TV where film critic is reviewing Gremlins 1 yeah and, it's, it's the Leonard Maltin yeah and he's bashing it obviously the Gremlins show up and you know they they have their revenge on this film critic who on the critic. couldn't keep his mouth shut and they, they kill him on TV which must be very traumatic for film snobs <laughs> for Leonard Maltin's family yeah <laughs> yeah so i mean it is it is literally leonard malton repeating his actual critique of the first gremlins wow it goes really meta and you know i actually i i enjoy meta i think i like the leonard malton sequence yeah that was more natural yeah more than the than the full breakage and, and the cinema and all that stuff. Yeah. I'm just really curious as to how they convinced him to appear in the sequel of a film that he legitimately did not like. Well, I mean... They paid him good money. Money talks and bullshit walks. But Gremlins 2 is in many ways a review of Gremlins 1 that is not taking a good light to it. Yeah. If you take Gremlins 2 and you watch it to try and form an opinion on Gremlins 1, you're gonna leave Gremlins 2 thinking that Gremlins 1 is not so great where I feel like Gremlins yeah. 1 legitimately has its achieved its cult status where Gremlins 2 is just making fun of that and it doesn't feel like it has yeah. the same spirit Joe Dante is still the director but it feels like it's a corporate chill yeah it, it feels a lot like Gremlins 2 is the big city cousin laughing at his country hick cousin yeah so I think that kind of dynamic actually quite neatly reflects the move from Kingston, Kingsport, King's Place, whatever, to New York, baby. Yeah. So the, the film itself becomes rude. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I want to talk about Christopher Lee, which I usually do. I mean, I, I usually yes. want to talk about Christopher Lee. But this time for good reason. Yeah. <laughs> he, he plays Dr. Catheter. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Catheter, which... <laughs> 
What a name. Well, I think he's charming in the role of, of Dr. Catheter. He is. He does a very good looming evil. Mm. He has this way of being imposing and just, he's got an evil look about his face if he pull, you know, he's got that face. He's got yeah. the Dracula face. That Christopher Lee face. Yeah, yeah. That no one could Christopher <laughs> Lee quite like Christopher Lee could. So he is the head of the gener- genetic research lab and uh, we see him. Called Splice of Life. Oh my God. We, <laughs> we see him like collecting diseases. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, it's uh, finally my malaria's arrived. Oh. Uh, it's just rabies again. I already have rabies. There legitimately are people out there that are like this. He runs this lab of pure animal torture where they're testing all kinds of genetic stuff on animals. They're doing cloning tests on humans. All the dodgy, like, not great stuff. They're, yeah, yeah, they're like electrifying animals. They're turning animals into spiders and bats. They have brain enhancement juice. Uh, Uh, What are some of the other... They're doing like cloning. One of the scientists who works there is cloned, so he's always a, a little duo of himself. Tweedledee and Tweedledum. But they've got all kinds of critters in there. They've got monkeys and elephants and camels and dogs and giant spiders. And of course, they eventually get a mogwai who they never take any DNA samples of. Not that I know of. Yeah, not that we see. They make Gizmo dance to a song. And that's also, I mean, look. This is like a kid's movie, it's played for laughs, it's whatever, but an animal testing lab in this film is made to look like a whimsical place, like a a place of (laughs) mystery (laughs) and wonder, where like, you know, none of the animals are suffering, right? They're just in tiny cages and poked and prodded and possibly mutated, but we also play them their favorite song and watch them dance, ha ha ha. And I mean, watching Gizmo dance, it is quite cute. That yeah. we can say, at least. Yeah, true. He does true. have a little pot belly, and he loves the rock and roll. He loved that rock and roll. <laughs> Uh, Basically, this is an excuse for them to have the gremlins mutate because obviously the gremlins break into this lab and they start chugging whatever they can find. This is where we get smart gremlin. Uh, He drinks all the brain juice and then goes through like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde transformation, like a reverse of that, uh, where he then becomes a smart, intelligent... He becomes like a a professorial. He even has sort of a a semi-British, like transatlantic accent. Yeah, like Fred, the TV Dracula, eventually does interview him in like a... yeah. Ellen DeGeneres kind of setup where they've got the couches <laughs> discussing what it means what, to be a gremlin. What do you want? This is also where we get Bat Gremlin. This is where Stripe yes. number two, the new leader of the gremlins, who is just a fucking clone of the first one. Stripe number two yeah. drinks spider juice and grows spider legs. And I was watching this and I was like, sure, it's nice to see them transform and they're they're ookier and spookier and grosser and kind of wetter in this film. But then you're reminded the whole time that this movie is just making money. This is what it is. So this yeah. expansion of the varieties where in the first film you get like archetypal figures and it's more innocent yeah. and it's actually saying something. In this film it's like, look at the toys, we're making so many gremlin toys. And and um, it loses that sense that there's like a horde of gremlins when each and every one is 
individuated and made into a little character. And I feel like this whole film does that to an extent where it takes something that worked in the first film and then does it to excess. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, the, pe the people love the, the Stripe character. Now we have to make every, every gremlin his own character. Yeah. And I feel like it, it kind of detracts because then they have to keep reaching further and further and further to come up with an idea for a character for each and every single gremlin to the point where we have bombshell lady gremlin we have idiot doofus gremlin we've got like cigar chomping sergeant gremlin like yeah. they have to go really far to try and find unique characteristics for every gremlin and it has the effect that the it loses the charm like you said the first film was yeah. very charming in that respect and in this film it becomes tedious because now you have to watch every gremlin transform into something special there's even the gremlins yeah do a musical number at one point, just a spontaneous musical number. And I'm not saying the full Yeah, they bad, do but... um, New York, New York. Yeah. Of course. Of, of course. course. And I'm not saying the film's bad. It is enjoyable and like you'll have fun watching it, but it doesn't have the same soul as the first. Film. Yeah. Where the first film, there are some dodgy elements, but it's charming and it's endearing. This film is just, I mean, it's just more gremlins. Here's some more gremlins. And it's the same thing that happened yeah. to the Die Hard series, which this does take a lot of uh, influence from Die Hard, uh, where like we have Gizmo becoming like a John McClane type where he's the everyday gremlin that's been pushed too far. Yeah, he actually becomes Rambo. A very direct reference to Rambo, right? Because he sees yeah. Rambo on the TV in, in Mr. Wang's shop, wing shop, and Rambo says, sometimes to win the war, you have to become the war. That's not a very good Sylvester Stallone impersonation. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sorry, there's some, like, building going on here. Uh, apologies if you can hear it. Uh, but he does become sort of like a, a mashup of John McClane and John Rambo, where he is uh, yeah. embodying Rambo, but he's doing the things that happen in Die Hard. He's crawling through the air vents. He's fighting yeah. the bad guys in Nakatomi Plaza or whatever. You know, he's in the, the clamp tower, but he's, yeah, he's yeah, doing yeah. a similar thing. He becomes the stereotype of the action hero. Yeah, he gets pushed too far when the gremlins capture and torture him. What I found quite interesting is that the film works very hard to keep Gizmo in the realm of whimsy and of like childlikeness. Because when he's being tortured, for instance, they put Velcro on him and rip it off. Or they put him, they like tie him to the tracks of a, of a toy train. Yeah. Where in other parts, a gremlin literally like electrocutes Christopher Lee to death. Another gremlin has an Uzi, uh, shoots another gremlin full of holes. So they clearly have no issue with really adult, really serious violence. But when it comes to Gizmo, he's kind of kept in, in a, a childlike realm, which I think... I think might be to sell more gizmo toys to be honest it keeps this a, a kids movie mm. where the violence is cartoon violence but it's not happening to the lovable yeah. puppy guy the gremlin with yeah. hair he, he also does end up setting fire to spider gremlin oh yeah, yeah that's a long horrifying he does scene grown up violence with the gremlin just burning and screaming but he he still stays hella cute look and fly 
And I mean, actually, Clamp also says like, oh, we're going to make toys out of you. Clamp is in many ways a representation of Warner Brothers Studios. Yeah, actually, right? Yeah. So something I was wondering, and I, did we touch on this in the previous episode? But I'm, I'm going to ask it again. Why is it that Gremlin's children want to kill him so bad? And also, why are they so different from Gizmo? Yeah, I was actually thinking about it uh, while I was watching this. Is There seems to be a level of maturity among the immaturity of Gizmo where the new Mogwai are highly energetic and very mischievous and they want to explore everything and they want to eat after midnight and they're not following the rules and they're like... Like the gremlin that... They're attacking Gizmo. That Katie accidentally takes home. Or the Mogwai, at least. He's just like, he breaks their blender and he throws food at her and and stuff like that. He's like a very annoying, crappy child. And I would say that that is probably because they've freaking just been born. They basically come out of the womb fully formed and fully functional. So they are babies in the body of an adult Mogwai. Yeah, so so, I mean, Gizmo is obviously a lot older. He might be over a hundred or... At least several years. Who knows how long these things live. So is it again the fault, as Mr. Ring said in the first film, uh, the fault of Western society for not being able to properly raise a mogwai. Gizmo does absorb bad, like bad behaviors from pop yeah. culture, as we see him go from singing box thing to Rambo impersonator and gremlin hunter at large. He internalizes, like mogwai internalize a lot of things that they see, but the the Mogwai that turn into gremlins don't have anyone around yeah. to temper their base desires. And I think I think one of those base desires, if we if we can bring up Dr. Freud again for the first time in a long time, I think mm-hmm. one of those base desires is the overthrow of the father. Yeah, because it's not like Gizmo does much parenting. Not at all. He's immediately afraid of his own children. He, yeah. They like pop out of him and he's Probably like, Probably because oh, he remembers shit. what he was like. Oh shit, oh shit. Here yeah. we go again. But he's just not ready to have kids, man. Like, yeah. Gizmo hasn't set, settled down. Uh, he hasn't found the right glass of water. He hasn't, he, like, yeah. you know. He, and that's something we need to talk about, is the romantic or the reproductive nature of these fucking mogwai. It's weird. The only sexual partner they need is a little bit of H2O. That's how they reproduce. That's not mammalian. <laughs> and then they transform into some fucking thing. That's not even reptilian. It's like, what are these freaking yeah. things? They don't make and, sense. And the geneticists at Splice of Life never have a chance to find out because... Pretty soon that whole, their whole scientific rational world is turned upside down by the gremlins just like GMOing themselves to crazy extents. Yeah, smart gremlin does try to uh, explain it. Yeah. But he doesn't actually have any idea what he's yeah. talking about. He just fucking uh, spits out big words. One of words. my favorite lines was when he's being interviewed by Fred. He says, we, we want what everyone wants civilization the geneva convention chamber music susan sontag <laughs> um, and that's uh, like an hilarious way to 
put their aspirations because true that is kind of a part of civilization it those are some of the things that humanity has achieved but it seems for the most part like the gremlins are much more interested in the other aspects of civilization like uh, drugs and television and automatic weapons all the negative aspects of humanity in that way the the gremlins are like a reflection of the bad side yeah. of humanity if if you can assume that like there is truly a bad or an evil side to something that is pretty much an animal yeah i mean they definitely have that sense of like runaway greed and runaway ambition and uncontrolled consumption and the impulse to consume yeah and of course not just eating faces but like consuming culture consuming pop and that's it's weird it's it's pretty much just a reflection of yeah humanity like most people that's just what people i mean do. yeah they just consume we're all just we love watching all just mouths in many ways <laughs> we love watching terrible movies so much that we talk about it for over an hour every week so we we yeah. can't really talk for at least 45 hours yeah. so far 46 we're coming up on that 50 yeah we're sneaking yeah, up on 50 exciting. it's going to be early in 2019 in the future when the gremlins bust loose uh, the whole there's a whole section that's shot almost exclusively in dutch tilts i don't think we've wow mentioned dutch tilts recently but of course that shows you know yeah. the balance of the world is being thrown off all of that I love the clamp logo, which is a sea squishing oh, yeah. the planet into a little like egg shape, which is just like the perfect indication of what clamp industries is doing. Yeah. This is one that is funny in retrospect from our perspective, but the, one of their big plans to kill the gremlins is to convince them that it's night by turning the clocks forward and then exposing them all to sunlight to kill them. And yeah. when discussing, like, how exactly to do this, what time, Billy says, we should probably make our move at 4.20. And I was like, lol, blaze yeah. it, 4.20. 4.20. There's a great, when all the gremlins have been killed, because they wet the gremlins with a fire hose and then release the electric gremlin into that, and, and that zaps all the gremlins. But then after all the gremlins are dead, the cops come running in, like, hop, 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 hop. But again, yeah. another film in which the cops are completely useless at best and, uh, you know, actively harmful at worst. And another little great line from Mr. Clamp, he, when he sees Billy's drawing of Kingsport, Kingstown, Kings, wherever, he says, this is it. This is what people want. This is what I'm going to build. The biggest, most sensational, quiet little town, which yeah. again kind of in a meta way expresses exactly what this film is doing to the first gremlins and of course you know capitalist yeah. ambition to co-opt everything that it doesn't already own and sell it back to us everything sentimental yeah oh one last thing the fire alarm is a voiceover that's like fire the mm. most powerful element is now taking over this building <laughs> this that's right this building is on fire which I found really hilarious. <laughs> Please evacuate. Uh, and that's it. That's what I have to say. Yeah, the people kind of react to it like they're all they're all confused. That was a pretty good lightning yeah. round. Uh, I gotta say, it's um, well done. Uh, so, Louis, if you had to rate Gremlins two out of no out of two to eight legs 
on a gram? Mm. How many legs would you gram? <laughs> Um, I mean, I prefer my gremlins with as few legs as possible, to be honest. I did not like spider gren. Mm -hmm. But I'm also not entirely sure how this rating works. So I'm gonna say... Yes, neither am I. Three? Three legs. That's, that's what I'm saying. Or three sets of mm. legs. Three not even legs, I'm just, just saying three. three. That's fantastic. Uh, I like my gremlins with two sets of mm -hmm. limbs plus like extra flight Ooh, appendages. Yes. Yeah, so that's, that's six, six, I think. Yes. Again, all of these rating systems are arbitrary and... Literally don't even mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, go out and watch Gremlins 2. It is a movie. Uh, if you have any thoughts on Gremlins 2, you can contact us on Twitter. We're at Stay Scary on Facebook. Also at Stay Scary. Be positive. The podcast on most yeah. things. Uh, you can find us on all of your yes. podcasts. Please us hit us up. Rate us up. Get your friends yep. to do the same. Uh, we really appreciate. Get them to yeah, listen. I mean, too. they do have to listen as well. But we really appreciate all of you yeah. listening. Uh, we would love to hear from you. On, on your chosen yep. platform. Uh, and then as always, you stay scary. Living in the city is spooky business. As long as you're doing business, uh, you're <laughs> succeeding. <laughs> I've got, oh yes, next time on Be Positive. Ooh, what is it, what is it, what is it? We're watching Santa's Sleigh. Uh, Santa's S-L-A-Y Sleigh. Yep, that's the one. Uh, it's where Santa is the only son of Satan. Huh. And he goes about killing merry okay, people. Okay, great. The folk of the Christmas town. I don't know. Uh, it does. It's very fun. It's got uh, Bill Goldberg from WWE as starring as Santa. So, you know, we've got Buff Santa. Yeah, wow. And he's just axe murdering okay. people. It's going to be great. It's, it's, that's what it's all about. The Christmas yeah, spirit. Yeah, that's great. I look forward to being festive with you again soon. I will be wearing a hat. A Christmas hat. In fact. Awesome. Even though, you know, listeners can't see sure. no, or hear my fine. Christmas hat because it doesn't have bells. Yeah. It's the thought that counts, right? That's what the people keep I saying. I mean, if you say you're wearing a Christmas hat, then people will be able to imagine their ideal Christmas hat onto your ideal head. So it's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons. Okay.